0: The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Welcome again to Coastal Community Church. My name is Ryan, and I have the privilege of kicking us off into another week of summer reading. And also, if you're watching online, uh, thanks for tuning in. If you're watching later this evening, thanks for tuning in. This is a great book. If you haven't got a chance to read it, uh, make sure you grab a copy. It is I Declare War by Levi Lusco. One of the taglines for the book is, get out of your own way, right? And so it's basically all about uh, taking control of your life, of your own personal life, and waging a war within yourself. Um, Sounds a little out there, but it's really good. It's all about examining your thoughts, uh, examining your words, your behaviors, your actions, uh, finding spots in your life uh, where you feel like you may even be sabotaging yourself. And then not only uh, figuring out where those spots are, but figuring out how to overcome them and actually live the life that uh, God had designed for you to live. So it's a great book. Uh, I just want to jump right on in. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Uh, if you have a Bible, if not, it's on the screen. Uh, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Right, so this is kind of like the theme verse of the entire book. Right? Uh, verse 3, it says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Right, so basically, it's, it's setting the stage for this is not a physical battle. Right? You don't have to go round up all your guns. You don't have to go find a sword or armor. It's not that kind of battle. Right? It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It says, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey God. Right? So, so it's not the guns. It's not the swords. It says, Our weapons of war are not of the flesh. Right? But they have divine power. They destroy arguments and lofty opinions against God. And now, if you're like me, when you hear that or read that uh, verse, uh, this um, idea of lofty opinions doesn't really make too much sense. So I went ahead and looked it up uh, for all of us. Um, in the original Greek, it is a word referring to, of course, height, lofty height. But when you look at it as the like the figurative extension of the word, it means an exaggerated evaluation of what one is or uh, of what one has done. And then in parentheses, it says conceded. Conceded. Another translation of the verse says that uh, they destroy every proud obstacle against God. And then it finishes out and it said, and they take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there it is right there. It's our thoughts. Uh, This idea of taking thoughts captive. Our thoughts are actually the weapon that he's talking about. But you can't miss the, the imagery here. The Apostle Paul is painting this picture. It's like a stronghold or a fort being breached. And, and everyone that's, you know, taking or sheltering behind the walls are being taken captive. And so Paul, Paul's purpose is not only to uh, demolish the false arguments, right, but also to bring everybody's thoughts under the umbrella of Christ. And right, if you look at another part of Romans, uh, we see the Apostle Paul, his actual calling as an apostle was to bring about the obedience of faith right, among all nations. Right? No matter what war is being fought, no matter what's going on in people's life, to bring about the obedience of faith. And so this whole passage uh, that this book is based off of is painting a picture of this battle. That's why the book is called I Declare War. It's a real war that's happening. It's, it's, a, it's this whole military metaphor that applies to our life. Right, the strongholds, the lofty opinions, the proud obstacles, basically they're all representations of intellectual arguments right, or reasonings that we as human beings, right, ourselves, we bring forward uh, to go against the gospel, right, to go against, to oppose God's word. And so that's what I want to kind of talk about a little this morning. How do we control these thoughts? Right, how do we use these non-physical weapons that God has given us to better our lives, but then also to further God's kingdom. So that's the point of this morning. And so to kick us off, um, my question for you is, how many of you on a daily basis, you feel like there's some part or uh, element or aspect of your life that you feel stuck in? You feel like you're maybe in a hole, a pit when it comes to this aspect of your life. And I'm, I'm not really talking about like, like things that are kind of out of your control. Like I'm not talking about like, oh, my relationship stinks or, I mean, that's in your control, but outside of your, outside of yourself, like my job stinks, my friend stinks, not that kind of stuff, right? What is it about you personally, inside of you that you feel stuck in? Like what about you can you not change? Like for me, my, I think my constant battle is more about control, Right, like the idea of not being able to control every aspect of my life or you know, not being able to control each and every little thing that happens or how my life is going to go. Right, I kind of struggle with the idea of, of God controlling absolutely everything and me having no say in it. So whatever it is for you, you know, there, are, there are things about yourself where not only do you see yourself becoming more and more, right, like this aspect of your life that you don't want to happen to you, right, but, but you're not able to stop it. Either either you're not able to stop it or, frankly, you just don't really care enough about it to stop it. And it could be anything. Maybe for you it's it's ungratefulness. Uh, Maybe it's trust issues. Maybe it's an unwillingness to love. Whatever it is, we see ourselves becoming more and more like this, but we're not able to stop it. And really it's our own doing. We're continuing down the same road that's just going to lead us even deeper and deeper into the pit. In his book, Levi Lusco calls it slipping slowly into a version of me that I don't want to be. How many of you that that hits the nail right on the head this morning? Right? And what happens is you see yourself going more down this pit, and then finally you're in the pit. Right? You are completely inside yourself. Whatever you're dealing with, it has fully enveloped you. And then all of a sudden, you become the victim. Right? You start giving yourself an excuse to act like you feel. Right? Does that make sense? You realize that you've been you know, feeling angrier and angrier, and all of a sudden that's like anger just envelops you, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm the victim, so I get an excuse to act angry to everyone in my life. Or you can feel yourself becoming less and less loving to the people in your life, and all of a sudden you're the victim. Right? You start feeling sorry for yourself, and, and now I have an excuse to act unloving to everyone around me. Right? Whatever it is, you can see yourself becoming more and more, slipping into that person that you just don't want to be. Right? And when, when you become it, you have that excuse. Now, you know, it's just who I am. There's nothing I can do. This is just me. You become the victim. This is just how I am. I think one of the ideas uh, or principles that I hear more than anything in society today is this, um, this idea of authenticity, right? You know, it's like, it's like, I just have to be me. I just have to be real. How many times do you hear someone like say or do something that you find either like rude or, or just dumb? And they're like, oh, I'm just being me. I'm like, oh, that's kind of sad, right? If that's the real you, that's pretty sad. But, but they just say, you know, I can't be anyone else. Right? I just have to be me. I have to be true to myself. And that's, that's a true statement. And the fact that God made you specifically, he made every hair on your head, he put you and your life into the exact place that he wants you to be. Right? But then if you read the Bible, if you, if you look at Genesis, you see there's this thing called the fall, right? where sin entered the world. Men separated themselves from God through sin, through that first bite of the apple. Right? And, and now our lives are no longer perfect. Right? We are no longer naturally godly, naturally holy. And more than anything else, that affects our feelings. Right? It affects our feelings. I mean, yes, you have to be authentic. You have to be you. But you can't use that as a scapegoat. Right? That doesn't work when it comes to your feelings. And that's kind of something I want to debunk this morning. Right? This myth that uh, our world and our society and a lot of people that you meet today will perpetuate right? I mean, what if the way you think about this, what if the way you feel, like you're supposed to act how you feel, that's just you, what if the way you feel is only going to lead you further and further down that road that you're trying not to go down, right? Further and further into a pit of despair, of failure, of longing, of a lack of God. I think about it this way, marriages, right? For those of you who are married, uh, I know you know this, uh, a marriage cannot survive, Right? It cannot thrive if you have to feel something to do something. Right? Does that make sense? That's something I want everyone to write down here this morning. You cannot thrive if you have to feel something to do something. I mean, truly think about that. In life, you cannot thrive if you have to feel something to do something. Right? Your walk with God. If you have to feel like sitting down to read your Bible every single time you're supposed to, it's not going to happen. Right, how about eating healthy and exercising? Right, if you have to have a desire to eat a bunch of tasteless green stuff, and you have to have a desire to like, do these weird body motions and elevate your heart rate to a point you feel like you're going to keel over and die, right, to be healthy, we're all going to be 500 pounds. <laughs> right? If you had to have a desire to like, man, I really want to go, and I want to sit in this tiny little office for eight to nine hours today, I really want to, you know, deal with some annoying people on the phone today. Or, or how about, you know, like getting yelled at by my boss. That would, that would really hit the spot for me today. If you had to have those feelings to go to work, you'd all be broke. Right? You can't have to have a feeling to do something to, to actually do it. Back to this idea of marriage. Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One more time, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, love your wife and give yourself up for her. He doesn't say, if you feel like doing this, go ahead and do it. He says, do it anyway. God's saying, who cares how you feel? Love your wife anyway. Right? God shows us that love is uh, sometimes a verb, not a noun. And what's so cool about God, and all his all-knowing wisdom, he made it so that obedience, right, obedience to what he says to do will actually bring about the feelings that you want. Right, Husbands, love your wives. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, how about you do it anyway, right? Go ahead and love your wife and then come back and tell me how you feel after you've done it. Or how about worship on a Sunday morning? A lot of people, myself included, sometimes you're just like, I'm not, I'm just not feeling it, right? I'm not feeling the song. I'm not feeling the lights. I'm just not feeling worshiping this morning. How about you worship God because he's worthy of your worship and your praise? And then after you've done it, come back and tell us how you feel, right? Because through obedience, true feelings come about through obedience True feelings come about. I mean, if you think about it in relationships, whether married or or dating, or maybe even like a parent-child relationship, what means more to you? Is it when you see the other person doing something you ask them to do, but you know they already would do it anyway, like they want to do it? Or is it when you ask them to do something you know they don't want to do, but they still do it anyway? You know, in a marriage, maybe it's, you know, it's guys doing a certain job around, the husband's doing a certain job around the house, or or watching a certain movie or a certain TV show, and your wife knows you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway because you love her. It's a small act of love. How much more do you think that means to her? Or how about if it's a parent and a child? What do you think means more to the parent? Is it when you ask your child to do something that you know they're going to do anyway, that they actually kind of want to do, maybe go see a movie with you or do something like that, and you know they would want to do it anyway, does that mean more? Or is it when you go ask them to clean their room, and you know they don't want to do it, but they jump right on it and do it happily? What do you think means more to the parent? I Honestly, I haven't found this out yet. Uh, I ask my eighth-month-old all the time. I'm like, can you? Can like, we're sitting on the couch, the remotes right there. I'm like, just hand me the remote. I would really appreciate it. She smiles and talks gibberish. I don't. I don't know what she's doing. Um, but still, I'll get there one day. But you know, back to it. In the same way that it means more to the parent when they see their kid doing something that they know they don't want to be or want to be doing, it means the same to your father in heaven. Right, when he sees you worshiping, even though he knows you're not feeling it. It means that much more. Or how about when you don't feel like sitting down to spend time with 10 minutes with him and quiet each morning, but you do it anyway? Or, or how about big picture? How about when you're obedient to his calling on your life, even though it's not something that you would have picked for yourself anyway? And how much do you think that means to him? When you're obedient right, that's when you're truly winning this battle that we're talking about. The book's called I Declare War. That's when you are winning the war inside of yourself. I mean, that sounds good, but in all honesty, that's one of probably the toughest things that we have to do, right? Because there's these areas, these problem areas of our life where we choose to not always obey. where We choose to just operate in our feelings. They're almost like weak spots, They're weak spots in our life where where we struggle to be obedient. But it's almost a double whammy because not only are they weak spots, they're almost like blind spots. Not only are we weak and we fall into temptation here, but half the time we don't even see ourselves falling into temptation because we're blind to these areas of our lives. None of us are perfect. Again, we gave that up a long time ago, but the challenge is to be obedient in as much as possible in an attempt to overcome these specific areas of our life, and then hopefully in doing so, those feelings that we so desperately desire to move us forward and to motivate us will come about. Think about it like this. right In our house, um, it's myself, like I said, it's my wife, and our uh, eight-month-old daughter, Ellie. And Ellie is, again, she's eight months, so she's not old enough to judge my wife and I for our weirdness. Anybody else thankful for that? right? She's not old enough to realize how weird we are yet. Um, but I was thinking about it the other day, and this is, I realize it's something I need to get better at, because I'm sure my wife doesn't actually uh, like it, even though she goes along with it. Um, or maybe she does, and that's why we're married, I don't really know. Um, but most people, when they come home, or they see each other, you know, it, it's like a smell of affection. It's like, hey babe, or hey baby, or how you doing, hug, kiss, you know, all that stuff. And, and as I'm saying this out loud, I see how lame this really is. Um, but that's not always us, Right? I, my wife and I, we actually have a handshake. It, it's it's a, it is not like a how you doing handshake. It's like a playground elementary school, like, handshake. And, and, it's, and it's kind of weird, but we do it all the time, whether, like, when one person's leaving or, or one person gets home. Or I talked about a little while ago our struggle with dinner plans. When we finally get a good dinner plan, we, like, finalize it with our handshake. Like that's, that's kind of what we do. But it, but it goes a little bit further than that. Like I said, a lot of people, they say, hey, baby, or hey, baby, and, and I realize I need to get better and, and, show, and show perfection in a probably more typical way, right? But we don't, really, we don't really have that kind of pet name. We end up calling each other killer a lot. I don't know if anybody else does this, um, and, and half the time, it's not even like K-I-L-L-E-R, it's like K-I-L-L-A, right? Like she walks in, I'm like, what's up, killer? Or like she's doing something in the kitchen, and she drops a pot, and I'm like, easy, killer, like, like, calm down. But and however weird it is, it, it's almost it's normal for us. It's our it's our norm, All right? But I'm sure if you came over for dinner, if you came over for a life group or something like that, you know, and, and we only did our secret little handshake to show affection, and we only call each other "killer," you probably wonder what kind of gang we're in, right? Or, or what's going on in our life? It, it's probably weird. But it, but it's a blind spot for us, and I know it's not the best example on the seriousness front of it. But I'd be willing to bet there are some areas of your life that you've tolerated for so long that you're blind to them, right? That you can't see that they're actually like inhibiting your growth throughout your life. Does that make sense? I mean, we're talking about winning the battle within, winning the battle within ourselves, overcoming our, our weaknesses, our blind spots, figuring out how to to access God's strength and wisdom to overcome them. And that's the struggle that we go through every day. I'd be willing to bet, it's probably tougher for for most of us to overcome things um, about ourselves than it is to overcome things about others. You know, like when it comes to something that you know, it's probably really easy to, to tell everybody else in the world what to do. Right, but when it comes to figuring yourself out, understanding yourself, understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, and not only managing them, but submitting them and the entirety of your life over to God, that's when it gets tough. It really goes back to the idea of feelings, right? Being able to overcome how you feel in the moment in order to do what's right, not only for you, not only for the people in your life, but to do right by God. Right? That's what this world struggles. That's what everybody's so into their feelings, and I think that's why there's such a big divide in, in our world today. It's because of no one can control their feelings, and honestly, I've never seen this more than at a college football game. If you've ever been there, you know. Like I I went to Clemson; I graduated from Clemson, um, so it was four years of college football. Didn't miss a home game. I've I've never seen anything like people not being able to control their feelings, except for like the Clemson Carolina game weekend. Like that was just crazy. Like I remember going one year. And these people were going, adults, were going at it so hard. I thought, number one, if there's any kid within a 50-foot radius, they're going to learn word combinations that no human should ever know. And then secondly, like, this is Saturday. It's Saturday night in the South. I know these fools are going to try and go to church in the morning, and God is going to strike them down right there because it was that bad. People could not control their feelings. And maybe that's you this morning. If you think about it, like, yeah, you can feel this way, right? You can feel that way. You can feel mad. You can feel pissed off. You can feel anything. You can feel disappointment. You can feel fear. You can feel desire. But you don't have to act on it. right? How many times does acting on it actually get you what you want? And not only does it really not get us what we want, it actually takes us further and further away from what we actually need. It's again, it's another one of those double whammies. It's all about control. It's about controlling our feelings, controlling our emotions, our actions, our words. That's how we win the battle within ourselves. Uh, but I've already pointed out, you know, that none of us are perfect. None of us has the power to control all situations at all times. The only way we can control ourselves to the point of living the life that God has called us to live is to submit to Him. We can only gain control by giving up control to God. We can only gain control by giving up control to God. I love how Proverbs fourteen twelve says it. It says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Pretty simple, right? Stick to your own way, your own understanding, your own feelings, and die, or submit it all to God and live. And so this battle... Like this constant war between our own feelings, our own desires, our own motivations. Right, Versus handling them all over to God and saying, I can't do it on my own. All right, we're all in this war, whether we want to be or not. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're all in this war. And what really stinks is it's not even just one war. If you actually think about it, there's like three different wars that we are in at all times. All right, three different enemies. We are in a war with the devil, number one. We're in a war with the devil who wants nothing more than to just outright destroy us. Number two, we're in a war with the world. We're in a war with the world who wants nothing more than for us to conform to its ways. And then number three, we're in a war with ourselves. The devil, the world, and ourselves. And the first two, those are kind of more the I'm not saying the easy ones, but those are the ones that we can see coming. Those are the ones that are more obvious to ourselves. We know that the devil wants to destroy us. We know that the world wants us to oppose God and his ways. But the war with ourselves, that just doesn't make any kind of sense. It didn't make any sense back in biblical times either. The Apostle Paul even talked about it in Romans. Starting in Romans 7.15, he said, "'For I do not understand my own actions.'" That's like the mic drop moment right there. That's all you need to owe. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest apostle ever, right, author of most of the New Testament, had no idea what he was doing. He says, I don't know why I do these things. I don't know why I fight with my wife. I don't know why I ignore my kids. I don't know why I treat people like this or give in to my selfish desires. He says, I don't know why I let the devil and this world have more of a stronghold over me than I let God. I don't know. And that's a lot of us this morning. He keeps going. He says, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I had to practice that one. That one was (laughs) tough. But what does that even mean? And I think the fact that we don't know what it means is the point. You know what I'm saying? We don't know why we do what we do. But verse 18, it hits so hard, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. That's a tough thing to come to terms with. Honestly, I think a lot of people in their lives will never get to the point of understanding that. Understanding that you are your own worst enemy. Right? We try to blame it on the devil. We try to blame it on the world. We try to blame it on the people and society and everything else around us. If you get to read the book, Levi Lusco clearly lists out the three biggest problems that we face. The three things that hold us back the most. You got to write these down. Okay? The first one is me. The second one is myself, and the third one is I. Those are the three things in your life that are going to hold you back the most, your biggest problems. But then here's what we do. When we start to get even the faintest, just the slightest hint that this may be true, that we might actually be our own worst enemy, we begin to rationalize, right? We begin to rationalize why we do it all. You know, you say, I know I'm this way, but if you'd only known what I've been through. If you'd only see what I went through, you'd see why I'm this way. Or if you'd only seen what I've gone through, how far I've come. If you see all the stuff I didn't do, and you'd see how it's not that bad. Right, we make ourselves the victim in the story. Or how about this, right? Yeah, I'm like this, but have you seen that person? Anybody else do that? Right, I'm not that bad. Have you seen how much worse they are than me? Look what they did, look how they act. We make ourselves feel okay by finding that one person that we think is worse than we are. Right, like I don't have emotional issues. Have you seen my mom? I'm not an alcoholic, have you seen my dad? Have you seen Billy and Susan's marriage? Theirs, Theirs is way worse than ours. We all do it. We rationalize our own shortcomings By comparing ourselves to the perceived worst part of others. We rationalize our own shortcomings by comparing ourselves to the perceived worst part of others. That's almost just like second nature to us. It's just our natural response to things. We are sinful people, and we don't want to be called out on our stuff. But by doing what we said earlier, by submitting everything to God, by handing it all over to Him, we release ourselves from this struggle. Right? If at one point in our life we say, God, I can't do this on my own, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have enough control over my life, we essentially release ourselves from ourselves. Right? With, this, with this realization and this clarity by echoing the Apostle Paul in Romans and saying, I don't know what I'm doing, we allow God to take over. And we don't have to know what we're doing because we know he does. We just have to focus on being obedient to him. But then what does being obedient even look like? Like the way I said it there, it sounds easy, right? Just hand everything over to him, grab my drink with my little umbrella and sit back and enjoy my life. It sounds easy, but that's not how it works. Once you make the decision to become obedient, once you've made the proclamation to to give it all over to God, that's when the war really starts to kick in. We don't get to just sit back and do nothing. We have to fight through everything that's still going to be attempting us are attempting to stop us from being obedient to God. Once you've made that proclamation, I've chosen to trust God, all these enemies that we talked about, the devil, the world, yourself, everything's going to kick it up a notch. Right? It's, it's go time, now or never for them. Life's going to get harder. And, and just when it seems like it's going to be too tough, right, when it seems like it was actually easier before you decided to trust God, that's when you can actually sit back and realize, oh wait, I've now got God to rely on. All these things that are dragging me down, right? all these things that make my life so tough, that make me miserable. Here, God, just take them. Right? That's literally why he came to earth, to shoulder the burden, the weight of everything that you have going on in your life. That's literally what the cross is all about. Right? Him taking the punishment for you and for me. That's why we're not only able to, to wage this war, but to actually win it. And so what do you have to do to fight the battle? What do you actually have to do yourself physically to fight this battle? If you look at battles throughout history, uh, there are a few different key elements to battles that really separate the victors from those defeated. One of my favorite historical figures is Francis Marion. Many who grew up in South Carolina have a little bit of knowledge of, of history. I know who I'm talking about, or, or maybe you have no idea about history, but you've walked down King Street and you've seen the Francis Marion Hotel. Right, this is the guy I'm talking about. He was a captain who became a general in the American Revolution, and he was actually uh, one of the things he was most known for was his strategy. Right, his strategy, his strategic positioning of his troops, who were almost always greatly outnumbered, led to him being one of the most devastating forces throughout the war. Right, instead of just uh, him just meeting like a superior army out on the field, as was custom. He would actually use the topography, the landscape that he knew really well to strategically position his smaller uh, number of troops in a way that would actually give him the advantage, that would allow him to win. And because of this, he became uh, extremely successful in all these different situations and battles that he should have lost. Right, And so the same lesson applies to your battle. What can you do specifically to put yourself in a position to win the battle within yourself? Because God can only do so much when it comes to your battle. If you're not in a position to allow him to to fight for you, when you say, here, God, take it all, it really loses a lot of its significance. And so just real quickly as we finish up, I want to give you three practical steps that you can take away and kind of begin to position yourself to allow God to fight for you. The first thing you can do is to control the high ground, right? Continuing with the the whole battle metaphor we're going, controlling the high ground. If you remember back in 2 Corinthians, uh, the passage in chapter 10, we talked about lofty opinions, high opinions, your thoughts, right? Basically, control the high ground is control your thoughts. That's what Paul was saying when he said to destroy arguments, to destroy lofty opinions, to destroy proud obstacles. Take every thought captive. Guys, he's not talking about the people around you. I know that's that's our tendency to say, oh, he's talking about them. He's talking about you. Take your own thoughts captive. Destroy your own arguments. Destroy your own validations. Destroy your own rationalizations that you come up with as a way to act how you feel. We talk about all these different enemies, the devil being the first one. I promise your thoughts are the number one place he's going to attack you. The first place the devil is going to attack you is in your thoughts. So control the high ground. When we talk about Francis Marion, strategic positioning. The high ground is always important in battle. Your thoughts are your high ground. Proud obstacles that Paul talked about, they literally refer to uh, every high thing lifted up. So many of our own obstacles are born out of our insecurities. Right? our own obstacles are born out of our own security insecurities but by claiming the high ground we actually remember our worth is found not only in the world but in the identity given to us by Jesus Christ when he adopted us as his sons and his daughters so you claim your thoughts the second practical thing you can do is to speak up second thing is to speak up so many times in our life we are told to just sit back right keep quiet keep our head down go throughout our life go through our business That's how we're supposed to handle everything. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to speak up and not just when times are good, but when times are bad. When you're struggling, especially when you're struggling. I think about it. Jesus himself knew how important it was to surround himself with 12 friends that he could go to about anything. Why is that? Because he knew that we are not meant to struggle in silence. We are not meant to struggle in silence. We are meant to live in community, to have people we can share with and talk to and struggle with, confide in, seek guidance from and wisdom from. You never know what other people are going through. You never know what they're struggling with. You never know the impact that speaking up can have in the lives of people, in your own life. It's okay to ask for help. Right? That's why small groups are so important here at Coastal. That's why life groups are so important here at KOSO. It's those, those, you know, middle of the night friends that you can go to, that you can confide in, you can ask guidance from. Right? In the good times and in the bad. And it's not even just for you. If you see someone struggling, speak up. Right? Call them. Check on them. Send them a text. You never know just what that one little thing. Letting them know that you're praying for them. You never know what that could do in their lives. They could be right on the edge, right? Right on the urge of falling off this cliff, falling into a certain pit in their life. And you just speaking into their life, even in the smallest way, can make such a huge difference. And then the third thing we can do after controlling the high ground and speaking up is just show up. Show up in all things, right? Keep showing up in all things. Show up to church. Show up to life groups. Show up to serve. Show up in your marriage. Show up in your, your relationships with your family, at your job. Keep showing up. But then when you're showing up and times start to get tough, don't give up. You can write that down on the side, actually, right next to it. Show up, but then don't give up. Right, to win the battle within yourself. Right? You have to keep fighting. You have to fight through the good days. You have to fight through the bad days. You have to keep fighting tomorrow and next week and next year. Never give up and keep showing up. Keep trying. Make an effort in all things, in every aspect of your life. Again, you never know what impact that can make. You can't stop fighting because you don't know what it's going to do for somebody else. Think about how many people had to win their own battle to be able to influence your life so that you're here today today. And you can win your own. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep showing up. And then maybe one day we'll get to see the fruits of all the labor that we went through. When we, when we, kept, when we kept controlling our high grounds and we kept speaking up and we kept showing up, we get to work and allow God to work on our behalf. And so let's, let's I just pray for that this morning, God. God, we just, we thank you for the opportunity. Uh, for just even the ability to wage this war uh, within ourselves. God, I just, first off, allow every single person in this room, every one of us, to realize that we are in a war. Right? That even when we don't want to admit it and we think things are going so well in our lives, we are still fighting a battle and not even one or two, but three different battles and God, don't help us not to be scared of that, but to rely on you and your wisdom and your grace and your strength. And God, when it does seem like everything is getting too heavy for us and we're not able to control our thoughts in the way that we want to or our actions or our feelings, help us to, to echo the Apostle Paul and admit that I don't know what I'm doing and then hand it all over to you help us to do that. It's so when I know that's going to be tough. That's tough for every single one of us to give up control. But help us to take that next step. That's one that every single one of us can make in some area of our life when we feel like we are in the pit to just give it all over to you. God, help us with that this morning. Help us to realize that we, we have to control ourselves and we have to speak up, but we have to keep showing up. You have to keep fighting this battle because it's not even just for us. It's for every single person in our lives, every single person that you put us into contact with. We never know the impact that one little thing—just us controlling our feelings, or saying the right words, or doing the right things in our life—we don't know what that could do for someone else. And even though we don't see it on a daily basis, we could be affecting just so many people around us, bringing them to know you by the way we act and control our feelings and the things we say. So God, help us to put our faith in you and to just submit it all. And God, there's probably some people who this morning who, who haven't had a chance to do that yet. If you are here this morning, if you haven't gotten a chance to submit it all over to God, but you realize that you are in a pit and you can't get out unless you, you use him, unless you submit it all, you can just pray this prayer this morning. And say, Father God, uh, thank you for for the cross. Thank you for sending your son to take the burden and the weight of every single thing that I could could not handle. Even though I brought it all on myself, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die and pay the punishment that we could never. And I'm ready to now submit everything over to you. I'm ready to get out of all these pits in my life. Recognize that I am in a battle, but you are fighting for me. I'm ready to do that all today, God. I'm ready to to come home to you. We thank you for everything, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.